We'll have everybody go ahead and uh, find their seats. As you're finding your seats, you can open up your Bibles to the book of Hosea. Uh, that one's a little bit obscure. I actually had problems finding it in my Bible, so no shame in that. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere near you. And today's passage can be found on page 752. Um, this is deeply encouraged this morning through worship and just the themes that we're singing about God's faithfulness with us despite our sin. I mean, that is just an incredible, wonderful promise, but it's supposed to be an experienced reality. And I'm just grateful for the context of corporate worship where those truths begin to um, not just be something that's out there, but they begin to make their way into the depths of our hearts and they begin to change us from the inside out. And so I am grateful for the worship team. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks for just the effort and the creativity that you place into serving us each and every week. And I'm glad that we get to enjoy that together. So the book of Hosea. Last week we uh, started the book of Hosea, went over chapter one. And as we um, Look at the book of Hosea this morning. We're going to skip over chapter 2. We're going to come back to that in two weeks. We're going to pick up the narrative in chapter 3 this morning. Um, And so to be able to do that, I want to bring us into um, a reality. It looks like, at least through my scholarly research through the internet, that um, between the years of 2005 and 2010... With the advent of social media and the front-facing phone, the selfie was born, right? Everyone in here knows what a selfie is. Um, Probably everyone in here has taken a selfie a time or two. I mean, my kids absolutely love taking selfies. So anytime that I actually let them take my phone and they begin to kind of play their games, by the time that I get it back, there's actually like 50 live selfies that I have to kind of go through and delete. And actually Landon's laughing because he's the chief uh, offender. And I probably have 50 selfies of Landon on my phone right now as we speak. But selfies are pretty common. I mean, We've all seen them. Um, And if you, I mean, if it gets to the point where your grandmother is taking selfies, you know it's become kind of like a cultural phenomenon, right? And so you can see that on um, Facebook. But so they've become rather commonplace. They can be uh, a little bit ho-hum. Are we going through the pictures? All right. Well, I wanted to introduce you to these folks. The, the average selfie was not enough for them. So this, this is the world of the extreme selfie. This is a, uh, I read about this actually in, on Mockingbird's website. There actually have been at least 10 deaths in Russia this year where people um, killed themselves actually trying to take extreme selfies. So just, I, I suffer from a little bit of vertigo. So as I'm looking at that photo, you know, my mind kind of, uh, it plays tricks on me. So that is a young man that thinks he's on top of the world. Next we have 
the extreme selfie in front of a volcano. So I don't know. I mean, take some planning to maybe pull that off. I mean, you're thinking, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the volcano today and I'm going to make sure that I get a own, my own face in the shot. Okay, we can go to the next one. All right, and this is a, a picture of running with the bulls and somebody got this young man who wanted to make sure that he captured that moment for all to see. All right, and then take it another level, right? <laughs> A little bit of an exhibitionist in our midst, and she's wanting to make sure there. I'm sure that's Europe and soccer, so um, there you go. And then this one I like. It's actually really cool. This one actually is on top of the world, probably on top of Mount Everest. Not a bad place for a selfie. And then finally, an outer space selfie. So, um, yeah, those, top, those selfies top your selfies. I'm just going to let you know. Um, why do I go to the uh, trouble of bringing those kinds of pictures into view? Um, why would someone literally risk their life to take a picture? Right? Why would they go to extremes? And I think it illustrates an important point for us this morning as we look at Hosea chapter 3. And the reality is that the human heart will go to any lengths to find something that it thinks will bring it joy, that will bring it satisfaction, that will bring it, bring it peace and freedom and happiness and all of those things. The heart will go to extremes to find joy. Now, um, Woody Allen, who is a director in Hollywood, he sums up the spirit of the age like this. He says, the heart wants what the heart wants. Now, he said that in reference to falling in love with his teenage stepdaughter. And in America, we rarely ever question the heart, right? People are always told to go for their dreams and to pursue what they want. But the problem is our wanter is broken. And if you have any doubts about that, I'll let you borrow my five-year-old and you can take him to Target and you'll see that on full display, right? The heart wants what the heart wants. That's probably a very biblical definition, but the problem is what the heart wants is not always what's best. Now, we may not go to extremes like going on top of a building to snap a picture of ourselves, but we all have patterns that we go after that we know are harmful to us, right? We all have patterns in our lives where we will self-destruct if it were not for the grace of God. The heart is willing to go to extremes. But the good news of Hosea chapter 3 is that the grace of God goes further still. And that's what we're going to see in Hosea chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles open... Would you stand with me? We're going to read Hosea chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a litek of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. 
so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we, in these moments as we're gathered as your people, we know that our time is short, that our lives are at best a mist and a vapor that are here today and gone tomorrow. And there's so much of us because you love us so that we want our lives to count. We want them to matter. We want them to make a difference. We want to experience life. But the truth is there are so many things that compete for our hearts, attention and affection. And I just pray that somehow that today through the power of your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would free us, that you would help us to break free from the chains that cling so closely and keep us from experiencing life in you and love from you. Father, to do that, we need you to send the spirit to help us to pay attention. It's very natural uh, in these kinds of contexts for our minds to wander, for us to be overly condemned. But I pray that you would be present by the power of your spirit to awaken us to mercy and to awaken us to grace. I need you And I thank you for the power of the resurrected Christ that lives in me and lives in everyone that belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the reasons I love the book of Hosea is because it's a story. It's a story that is in really in the big picture of the larger story. We often talk about the story of God where it has all of these elements, the the creation of the world, the fall, redemption, and restoration. We talk about that big overarching storyline, but the beautiful thing uh, about the, the, the story of God is that within the larger story of God, there are little stories that have all of the elements All of the drama and all of the power of the larger story. And that's what we get in the book of Hosea. We come face to face with the power of God's redeeming love and the links that he goes to to redeem and to save his people. This morning, we're going to come to the core of our miseries. We're going to understand really what's going on and what's wrong inside of us and what's wrong In the world, we're going to come face to face with the core of our miseries, but we're also going to come face to face with the only thing that can set us free, the only thing that can deliver us, the only thing that can bring us life. 
Last week we looked at Hosea chapter 1 and we saw that Hosea had one of the most unique calls of any of the prophets of God in the history of the world. When the first thing that Hosea hears from God is, I want you to go and to marry a prostitute and I want you to have a family with her because that's what it's like for me to love my children. Right. So that's chapter one in a nutshell. And, you know, this is the ultimate rags to riches story. I'm sure if Hosea and Gomer were a member of a local church, they would have been up on a stage like this. They would have been giving their testimony about the power that can change you. And all was well for a season until uh, until Gomer's heart began to wander She began to go back to her former lover. She began to resume her life of prostitution. They had one child together. She had two that belonged to other men. And so Hosea found himself alone, found himself wondering at the faithfulness of God, wanting to see his wife come home and wanting to see their relationship Restored, And that's what brings us chapter two. We're going to look at in a couple of weeks is really a long list of indictments that is against the people of God. But the narrative continues in chapter three, and that's where we find ourselves this morning. Hosea's love for Gomer continues, but her wandering brought her to an end of herself. And we've all been there. She began to experience the fruit of her sin. She began to experience the destructive patterns of going after lovers that were not her own. And she found herself in the arms of another man. But this man was not kind like Hosea. He was not compassionate like Hosea. And he used her. He abused her. He mistreated her and she found herself on the auction block to be sold as a slave, just like a piece of meat. That's where we find ourselves in Hosea chapter three. And if you know anything about this story, there should be something in your mind that would say, what brought her to this point? Like, how do you experience Love that is undeserved? How do you experience love that you did not earn? How do you experience that in the covenant of marriage? And then just turn your back and walk away and go back to your life of prostitution. How does that happen? What goes wrong in a situation like that? Well, the truth is what goes wrong in Gomer is the same thing that goes wrong in each of us, each and every day, which brings me to my first point that we have to see from this passage. I am Gomer, right? I am Gomer. Not I was Gomer or I used to be Gomer, but I am Gomer. See, this passage, first of all, indicts us before it comforts us. We have to be able, first of all, to experience the diagnosis of this passage the way that it begins to 
unpack what's going wrong in Gomer's heart so that we can share in the cure. So to the degree that we see ourselves as Gomer in this passage is the degree that we can be freed by this passage. There is no shortcut to this. The truth is I am Gomer and you are Gomer and we all at our core are spiritual polygamists, right? We all have spiritual lovers that we run to. We all have things that we think end up promising us life, but they end up delivering death. That's the truth that this passage reveals. That's the truth of our experience each and every day. See, this is a letter that's written to the church, right? This isn't a letter about those bad people out there, right? This is a letter to the bad people in here. Right? And God wants us to know and come face to face with the core of our miseries. Just like Gomer, we are all prone to wander. But the good news of the gospel is our waywardness does not keep God from pursuing us in love. Our waywardness is the reason that God pursues us in love. See, our hearts are... Like magnets, they are always looking, they are always searching, they are always wanting, they are always looking to be satisfied, right? Our hearts were made to be satisfied in God, but because of the fall, because sin entered into our world and sin lives in our own hearts, we seek to be satisfied in anything and everything but God. Listen to this quote by Paul Tripp in his book, New Morning Mercies. He says this. He says, It is the disastrous duo, the evil outside of us and the evil that still remains inside of us. It's not just that we live in a world where evil still exists. If that were our only problem, life would be much easier and simpler. No, the danger of the external evil that we all face every day is made incredibly greater by the evil that lives inside us. You see, it is only ever the evil inside you that magnetizes you to the evil outside of you. Sin is only ever attractive to a sinner. And there is not a day in our lives that the internal and external evil do not intersect somehow, some way. So that is the core of our problems. I am Gomer, you are Gomer. See, that's why we don't just set up monasteries and withdraw from the world. Because the problem is not out there, right? The problem is in here, right? There is no filter for the human heart. So it doesn't matter how many safeguards you put on your computer. We fundamentally need to change at the core of who we are. We all are prone to wander. So we don't just live in a fallen world. We have fallen hearts. This week, um, I came across a blog that one of my friends pointed me to, and it's entitled, I am Ashley Madison. I'm sure most of you have at least heard of the internet breach that 36 million people were exposed, at least in their uh, initial attempts to pursue 
Internet adultery, right, where couples can hook up. You guys are familiar with this, right? And this Dr. Brian Dixon, this is, this is what he wrote. And I, wanna, I want you to learn from it. It's instructed me so well. He says, he said, I hate to admit it, but my first response to hearing about the data dump of 36 million email addresses and personal contact information of men, uh, members of AshleyMadison.com brought me joy. Right? Shame on them. What kind of idiot do you have to be? Hypocrite. I wanted to download the 10 gigabyte file. I wanted to spend hours looking through it, finding names of pastors and politicians and anyone else who stands on the moral high ground with their finger pointing down at the rest of society. I wanted to expose them for who they are. We've all been there, right? Then he remembers this picture in John chapter 8 where there is a a woman who is thrown naked at Jesus' feet, caught in the act of adultery, where everybody was gathered around, picking up their stones, ready to let them fly. And it changed his heart. And this is what he said. He went on to say, The truth is, we are all on a list. It may not be the AshleyMadison.com user base, but there are other lists much more scandalous on which all of our names appear. Yet Christ, in his mercy and his grace, crosses out my name on every single one of those lists. And as in ink as thick as blood, he writes his own name. Jesus took our place. He then turns to that one list that supersedes them all, and he writes my name, and it gives it one title, and that title is forgiven. So the truth is, I am Gomer. I am Ashley Madison. I am prone to wander. I'm prone to neglect and to forget the love that God has shown me and to go and to run across everything. Right? This is the core of where grace becomes amazing, right? Because the the more in touch we are with our own fallenness and our own depravity, grace becomes amazing to us. If we kind of push that to the side or we kind of gloss over it, grace becomes a custom grace, right? It's just like, why are we talking about this message of grace all the time? The reason that we talk about grace all the time is because we need grace all the time. I, I want you just to think about this. What, what if God showed you the thousands of ways that he has kept you just this week from destroying your life? That's the grace that's revealed in the book of Hosea. It's not just that I used to be Gomer. I give myself away to all kinds of lovers each and every day. I am tempted to forget, forget the love that has drawn me and bought me and secured me and going after things that I know that will never satisfy. Right? That's the truth that we see in Hosea chapter 3. The biggest source of depravity is not out there. It's in here. And that's the truth for all of us. We've forgotten that we have been loved. Judd Wilhite in his book, Pursued, he says this. He says, emptiness is a consequence of idolatry. When empty idols are worshipped, the worshiper becomes 
just as vacant. Enough of something is never enough. Only when we make God the object of our worship will we then find all the things that we were searching for in our pursuit of money, love, sex, family, and that's important in Jonesboro, career, and status. So just think about this with me. I mean, we've all had those seasons and those times in our lives where like, we've had the promptings of the Holy Spirit, right? Like we were they're faced with two paths, right? One leads to righteousness and one leads to destruction. And we've all said, I'll choose the path that leads to destruction. I just want to ask you a question about that. Anytime that you've chosen to go down that path, has it ever in the slightest promised or, or delivered what it promised? Has it ever satisfied you? Has it ever left you feeling like, I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad I gave myself away to that. Has it ever delivered? You see, we, we just get this idea that the, the reality is we just need more of it, right? It's not just that, um, that we need to experience it. It's like, well, I probably just didn't get enough things this time. So maybe if I go to the store one more time and I throw down the credit card, maybe then I'll be able to feel better about myself, right? Maybe this time the promise of pornography will actually deliver. Maybe then I really will find the connection and the love that I'm looking for. Right? And we all fall for that hook, line, and sinker. We all are Gomer. We all are prone to wander. The only way that we can gain freedom from these substitute lovers that promise everything and deliver nothing is to experience a completely different kind of love. See, our hearts, just like when you were in high school, it is hard to forget your former lovers, right? It's hard to get those pictures out of your mind. Our heart wants to remember our former lovers. The only way that we can ever be free is to experience a completely different kind of love. And strangely enough, the the best example of this comes from Homer's The Iliad and the Odyssey. Are you guys familiar with that? That's a book that probably almost everybody owns, but no one has read, you know? So (laughs) I didn't read it either. I got this from a book, so I'll just be honest. But it is such a, a great illustration of the way that we try to view change and life in the world. So it's the story of two men, one named Ulysses. And the other named Jason, Jason from Jason and the Argonauts. So they both were aware of the peril and the dangers of the sirens. You guys know the sirens. They were these mythical creatures. They were beautiful women and they would lure sailors to their death by their song. They would cause them to crash upon the rocks and their ships would sink. And they both knew that they had to go through this area and they both approached going down this path very differently. Ulysses was a strong general and he was known for his force. He was known for his ability to lead the army. And so what he said to all the people that were on his boat is he said, I want you to chain me to the mast 
because I want to hear the song of the sirens. Now, I want all of you to put wax in your ears. And no matter what I do, I don't want you to let me off of the front of the boat, no matter what I say. And so he was on the boat. He was chained to the mast and he was just, he wanted to get free from the chains that were so wrapped around him. That's how Ulysses did it. And he made it through. Right. And that's how a lot of us approach life. Then Jason, who also knew of the problem of the song of the sirens, he hired Orpheus, who was the greatest musician in all of Greece. And he had him come and he had him play a completely different kind of song, a song that was more beautiful even than the ones that the sirens were singing. And the men didn't have to restrain themselves. They were captive to a different song. Those two people represent two different kinds of approaches to change. And most of the time, people in the church, they view change like Ulysses. They want to get absolutely as close as they can to the world, as close as they can and believe that God is holding out something good and they're just chained so that they can experience it. That's how most of us, most of the time, view life with God. But the other one, Jason represents, that's what Christian growth is. It's experiencing a sweeter song. It's experiencing something completely different, something completely outside of yourself, something that's better than the song of the world. One of those songs leads you to be a slave and the other one leads to freedom. So we want to train our hearts To hear the better song. So let's get back to this narrative. Gomer is alone. She is on the auction block. She has been used. She has been abused. Feeling utterly alone. Utterly despised. No one in the world could care about her. So she hears... The voice of the man saying, who will pay the price for this woman? Who wants to add her to their collection? When out of nowhere, she hears a familiar voice that says, I'll pay for her. I'll bring her home. She can come home with me. I'm sure at that moment when she began to hear Hosea's voice saying, I'll, I'll pay the price. I'll bring her home. I'm sure she had all kinds of conflicting thoughts. How could he love me like this? How could he love me here? How could he love me now? How could he come after me when I've left him? How could he keep coming after me when I've chosen hundreds of men over him? Right. That's the that's the thing that Gomer's going through in that moment. But it's in that moment she comes in contact with a love that's much like God's, a love that absorbs the cost, a love that goes after a a love that goes into the dark place, a love that goes after us, despite us, a love that changes us even at our most defiled and our most dirty and our most unclean. It's the love of God that changes. See, we are all like Gomer. We are all runners at heart. We all want to run away from God. But the good news is, for the people of God, you cannot outrun the grace of God. 
Our sin is deep, but His grace is deeper still. And what we're supposed to understand as a people and as a church, the love of Hosea for Gomer is real. It is passionate. It is exclusive. It is life-changing for Gomer. But it does not hold a candle to the way the God of the universe feels about everyone in this room. It is a picture. It is a poor reflection of what we know to be true as God sent his only son into the world to pursue us in our waywardness. And he continues to pursue us day in and day out. He pursues us despite us. So the next point that we have to see to really experience freedom is we must receive the gift of the ransom. Look at verses 2 and 3. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a litek of barley. That is a cheap bottle of wine. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. So for us to really be able to begin to experience the freedom of this passage, not only do we have to see that we are Gomer, but we have to personally receive the ransom. A ransom is the price that was paid for a slave to go free. That's what Hosea did for Gomer, and that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. But this is where it has to become real. It has to become, you you have to see that there are areas right now in this room that we are all enslaved to. And to receive the gift of the ransom, we have to look upon the cross. We have to look at Jesus and we have to say that his blood is for this. His blood is to free me from this area that I struggle with. See, we love to come up and we love to sing that he's mighty to save and that we're going to spend eternity with him one day. But the truth of the matter is that he is just as passionate about freeing you and changing you here this morning as he is about saving your soul one day. So I believe that the call of this passage is to look on the cross in faith and to know as you look at him in faith that he wants to change you and he wants to free you, right? So it doesn't matter what it is this morning, if it's pills or pornography or loving the praise of men, if it's fits of rage and malice and anger and laziness and passivity, all of those things come from one source. It's a source that the heart has forgotten the love of God, but the solution is even better. You get to experience the mercy of God. That's God's strategy for fighting sin, that you just come in contact with the sacrifice of the blood of the Son of God, and it will change you. So we have to personally experience the gift of the ransom, and then we also have to personally experience the power of redeeming love. You have to imagine... As Gomer is hearing Hosea's voice, that there was part of her that felt unworthy, unlovable, unredeemable, right? Too far gone. It's too late for me, right? Because that's what most of us 
think in our own hearts when we come face to face with our own sin. But I love what Hosea says. He says, You must dwell as mine. As it is for you, so it also will be with me. I mean, I know this sounds like a little bit of archaic language to us. But essentially, what he's saying is, I want you. I want all of you. I want you to come home. I'm not going to share you with another man. I'm not going to share you with another lover. And that's what God is saying to every person in this room. I don't want to share you anymore. I want you to come home and I want you to come face to face with my redeeming love. So whatever your laundry list of sins, wherever you think there is no hope for you to change, come face to face with The love of the Savior. I mean, think about what it would be like just for this week. If the only thing that you meditated on were God's words, you're mine. That's it. Just for a whole week. You belong to me. I want all of you, right? Not not to-do lists, not things that you think you need to grow in, but just allowing God to speak his word over you. Think about what our church would be like. Think about your discipleship groups. Think about gospel communities. If all we said is we belong to him. Yes, we're, we're not where we want to be, but praise God, we're not where we once were. He has purchased us. Just believing the fact that we can dwell with him as ours. And then I want you to notice this because this, this is where this intersects with mission. Look at verses 4 and 5. Because we don't want this love to stay contained to Christians and this to become a holy huddle. He says in verses 4 and 5, it says, The reason that verses 1 through 3 are true, the reason that Hosea could go after Gomer is because he knew this about God. Verses 4 and 5, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So the reason that Hosea was able to love Gomer was not because Hosea is awesome, right? I mean, he... He was called by God and anointed by God. But the reason that Hosea had that kind of supernatural love is because he said, that's the way that God feels about his people. The fuel of Hosea's love for Gomer was God's love for the world, God's love for his people. And so, right, I mean, if you're anything like me, like when we try to make our mission to reach the world about our love for people, That changes about every five minutes, depending like what's on Netflix. I got to be honest with you, right? I mean, we all live there. The source of our mission to the world is not our love for the world, but God's love for the world. And that's what we see. That's what verses four and five. Anytime you see that phrase like King David, that's the promise of the Messiah. That's the promise of the Savior. What he's saying is I'm going to come in and I'm going to unite my people under this one king, this one Messiah, despite all of their wanderings, all of their failings, I'm going to bring them home. And and seeing that picture of faithfulness 
from God is ultimately what gave Hosea his love for Gomer. And that's what can give us love for the world, right? We don't have to muster something up. We just have to come in contact with God's love for us. So we need to experience redeeming love so that we can give away redeeming love. I just want to close like this. I know there's a lot of people in here that experiencing the love of God is difficult, right? Where when you're alone, you question his affection for you. You doubt whether he really means you on a day-to-day basis, that he thinks about you and has you as the object of his affection. And I just believe in this moment that he wants you to be able to look up out of your shame, look away from the sin that clings so closely to you, and to see the Savior. I believe that that the Spirit is present here today, that not one person would leave here unconvinced of the love of God. So the reason that we're going to celebrate communion is just in just a moment is so that we have a moment to see what that tastes like. That we have a moment to say, I, I, I'm not going to run away to these other things, but I'm going to run to the God of the universe. God personally wants you to experience the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of His love through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, in these moments, please come and please assure and please free and please do what you are pleased to do. Thank you for your relentless love towards us. Thank you that your love never gives up and it never fails. I pray right now specifically for all those that doubt, for all those that are afraid and quiet moments. I pray that you would flood their hearts with the power of the Holy Spirit and that they would see Jesus high and lifted up for them and ruling and reigning in heaven for them. Father, I pray that as we take this meal, it would be an invitation for us to come home. In Jesus' name, amen.